good day to you. My name is James Langridge and I am the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles, back once again with another podcast uh, for you guys to listen to. And today I have an absolutely wonderful guest on the line, Dr. Tara Fass. Good morning, doctor. How are you? Well, um, good morning, James, but I will say I am not a doctor. I'm at a master's level. I don't know if that makes a difference, For, if we should forgive start me. that over. Forgive yes. me. T tell me a little bit more about that. What does that mean? Well, I have a master's level degree. I'm a lifelong learner. I do continuing education all the time. But for uh, various reasons, I did not take a doctorate. I suppose if I could turn back the clock 30 years, I might do things differently. But at this point in my life, with 20 years of experience as a licensed therapist, it took uh, years and years to get to that point. Uh, this was a second uh, career for me that I just decided to stay with my master's level of um, that. That degree. works for me. That works for me, Tara. So I will just refer to you as Tara then for the for the for the further in, into this conversation. Um, Tara, um, I, I mean, we have, there's so many things going on right now. It's so uncertain. In your opinion, how, uh, how mental health, especially now, how important is that we take a look at that and really take a dive into what really we can do right now to stay strong mentally? More than ever, this is important because so much of our life here in LA, and I've only ever practiced in LA, is the ability to externalize, that you can distract yourself, entertain yourself, numb yourself, that you can keep running as far as you want from being still and sitting with your issues, um, that you can, that you can simply really cannot physically do now. You, in a way, have to, if you're going to follow the rules, which um, I think you should be able to sit inside your home, sit inside yourself, feel what it is that's going on and, and deal. And for most people, getting quiet, being internal is very difficult. Not I so agree with you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, um, that's fine. When, when you're saying sitting there and, and being quiet... It's very hard for people who, I mean, LA, as laid back as it is, it moves at a fast pace and everyone has always got to be somewhere. So right now we're not allowed to be anywhere. We're at home. And whether you're the main breadwinner, you're, the, you're, you're in charge of the household, you have children, you're trying to balance work, life, everything. Where do you even begin? Well, by acknowledging that this is a very dynamic situation, there's a lot of pressure, and to perhaps give yourself a break. If perfectionism was ever your issue, now's the time to confront it, what that really means and how anxiety can be um, take away from your ability to be competent and that everybody is going through this to some extent or another and being that still center in the midst of a storm has never been more difficult 
this idea that you have to sometimes when everything looks bad focus on one good thing at a time and that might be hard but that little bit of gratitude once you start kind of drilling down on it starts to expand even in the worst of situations very interesting um tara would you agree i mean i mean there are different ways to start your day people who are used to having a routine well that routine's out the window so establishing a root new routine a new normal what it's are your very, thoughts on that very important i'm glad that you mentioned that because even from the very earliest days of life um, infants young children love to have that stability predictability a sense that they're being um, like a space is made for them that they're being seen heard felt and as long as you can keep this sense of normalcy for yourself for others even if you're faking it a little bit you know i've been thinking about that movie life is beautiful for weeks now one way movie. yes the way that father kept for his young son anything that came their way that seemed out of the ordinary he had a story for it he had a way to reframe it to find the silver lining you know for instance all of this worry now about being asymptomatic or having a mild case well then you have the antibodies so that in a year a year and a half when there is a vaccine you'll already be ahead of the game so to speak that pandemics epidemics have have happened before we will get through this almost like a mantra we will get through this and if you have young children if you are setting a good example if you are leading the way that will clear the path you know we i talk about a lot with patients about um you know when the pot is stirred up and things come up generally speaking there are elements that you have faced before life is a little like guacamole that if you know in our business it is said that if you do not fully understand um, a situation or fully digest let's say trauma it will return you know that old myth you um, cut off the monster's head and the head grows back that generally what you're facing today in some form or fashion harkens back to some residual issue that was not fully resolved and that life propelling you forward it's almost sometimes you think you're playing life forward well really you're trying to understand backwards those earliest experiences that set us up for life and to shed them i mean i'm i'm all over the map a little bit but if you follow me children have very little power in life so children are acted upon one of the beautiful things about becoming an adult is the ability to see yourself, understand yourself as someone who can take the reins on your own life and start to author or co-author your life with, you know, depending on your faith tradition or a higher power, 
that you have some more control. You know, control is also a very interesting thing. One mm -hmm. of my mentors calls it the myth of control. To be out of control with the need to be in control, this is part of the problem of perfectionism. I think I agree with you. That was a wonderful explanation. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I, I learned along, well, I've been learning for a while. Um, one of the paths to being happier is to write a gratitude list every morning. Um, yeah. And it helps get your head screwed on the right way around. It certainly does with me. And it at least gives you a chance of having a great day. Um, the importance of, uh, comp <clears throat> excuse me, compartmentalizing everything pigeonholing it if you will just all we have to worry about is today we'll deal with tomorrow when we get there um especially with this evolving we're not sure how long we're going to be at home i got to believe that's important right now just to focus on what you can handle right now and not giving up you gotta believe that we are all here today because we come from a long line a legacy of people who didn't give up who found a way to keep going. Sometimes I think of my ancestors as almost like my personal angels. And um, I swap them out sometimes, but they're all pretty much the same ones who were sitting on my shoulder, kind of letting me know that they have my back and that they'd be so proud of me for keeping it up, not giving up. I, I totally agree with you. I have a friend who shared a long time ago with me about having your own board of advisors, imaginary people or people, ancestors, people that you look up to who sit on your shoulder and give you the advice you need when you need it. And you call on them and you update your board of advisors as you need it with new people. You hire and fire them like you're running your own business. It's the business of you. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, Tara, so... I have some interesting questions from people. I, I hope you, I don't think we've let, we're leaving anything off the table here. I, uh, I'm game if you are. Um, totally. All right, great. So um, one of the questions I've got is people who are trying to keep a work-life balance. Um, should they be dressing up in their work gear at home to try and have a normal work day and change back into their comfy clothes at the end? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I, I feel like it's a sign of respect, you know, whether it's in the office or televideo conferencing, to show up for my patients um, groomed, dressed. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, it's just self-respect. It shows that you're important, I'm important, and that, you know, my feeling is this could go on for a couple of years, maybe in and out of quarantine, and that the sooner that we get with the new normal of this and roll with it, especially if we are role models for youngsters, um, absolutely. This is not a time to just throw your hands up and be the victim. You know, also with clients, if you're a patient of mine, I will, as I'm listening to you, if you start to say you, 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 I'm like, no, I. I don't care about anybody else in this room right now. I care about you. And I want to hear from you what your experience is because you, you, you is the um, language of the victim. I only volunteer up my um, helplessness or hopelessness. No one takes it from me. And so when it's I, 
then you have a chance to do something about it. Even if it's incremental, even if it, like you say, compartmentalized, that, that one foot in front of the other, that's how you keep going. That's how a person, how one, how I keep going. And so just these little fixes, when I start, when patients start doing the you, you, you thing, I'm like, oh no, oh no. And so back to, to dressing, I show up, I show up fully, no matter what the circumstances, and that's the way we go on. And then this idea of separation, I've got to have some separation in the day so that I can keep up this sense of a schedule, this normalcy, this continuity, this consistency. That's where it's at. Talking of schedules, um, you know, if you're the main breadwinner in the house and I'm whether it's man or woman, mm-hmm. whoever it is, the one who leaves the house most days goes to work uh, or goes to a different part of the house to work. There's that general feeling of helplessness right now, especially if their companies are closed or God forbid they've even lost their job. Mm-hmm. What are your words of encouragement to those people who are really struggling? What can they do to make themselves feel better, to be a better person around their families? What comes to mind? Well, you know, first of all, it's politically incorrect, if I must say so, to say that, um, you know, the major breadwinner, there's still your partner who is um, employed within the home. If anybody has ever kept up a home, it's a lot of work. Very true. true. And it's even valued at like 100K a year. So first of all, still seeing yourself as part of a partnership and that everybody is in this kind of instant redesign and has to kind of be up to date and ready to go. So if you, and let's say your partner or there's other people in the home who can earn a living are um, looking at a resume, maybe making a resume for the first time, looking at job posts every day and this idea that I have to update every, or I don't have the energy, or that cover letter is not good enough. In some ways, it's target practice. So even if, let's say, you're employed, you've been cut by 30%, I'm hearing this a lot, or that you've been laid off till a production starts up, that you still keep your eyes peeled, and that if you ever had that dream project, this might be a time to bring it out and to dust it off and see if there's um, a way to make a go of it. Also, this is a great time to brush up on your skills. You know, I'm a boomer. My relationship to technology has always been on an as-needed basis. Well, hello, that's what's going on right now. I'm brushing up my skills. I'm going green with banking and with um, sending out agreement to treatment forms and billing wherever I can brush up my skills because I don't want to be left behind. Um, So I would say that everyone has to kind of rethink this. And again, this level of optimism, I got myself here, wherever we find ourselves in lives, this ownership, I got myself here, I will figure a way out. I must believe that. I love that. You mentioned something about um, your, your brushing up on your technology. Do yes. you think that you will use Zoom or any other multimedia platforms 
once everything settles down, do you think you're going to make it part of your repertoire, maybe meet clients via Zoom platform? Or are you going to be, I mean, I love meeting people in person, so I'm just yes. curious to get your opinion. Well, I use Doxy, something that's HIPAA. Um, you know, right. Okay, so, but it's, the, it's a very similar format. So I believe that I will. I mean, until the last week or two, I've always met people in person. And then if we'd go to video conferencing or the telephone if necessary. Um, and frankly, I have no plans on um, letting go of my office space. I, as a therapist, being self-employed, I have always been very careful to keep my overhead low. When I have seen colleagues not do that, I, I wonder like, what are they thinking? So in some ways, the answer is, I will not give up this video teleconferencing, but I would always like, if possible, the first few sessions, at least the first to be in person. And then from time to time, even if it's a luxury, to keep that going because in real life there's nothing like it and that i agree i agree yeah so yes i will use it in the mix but i will always look at the bottom line and this has really been very interesting way to practice fabulous yeah okay back to some questions for you um one question is uh we're all under the same roof whether you're a couple or a family i don't know it's probably different kinds of stress levels, but the yes. stress is coming out. We're, we're all on, I mean, we live together, but you know, um, if people are together for an extended period of time, the cracks are going to start to appear. What advice do you have for people who are just grumpy, stressed out, taking it out on each other? What, what kind of exercises, what can we do? What can we tell people who are listening that they can adopt to, to help? Well, I think I even mentioned this to you earlier, if you want to do it, there's um, a local, he grew up here, he practices here, he runs uh, the uh, Culture and Brain Institute at UCLA, it created this meditation practice for cancer patients at UCLA, his name is Dr. Dan Siegel, and I just adored the work he does. And he does a very simple grounding technique. He starts off most of his keynote addresses these days with it. And I've been doing that with people and remind them this is something that they could do on the go. When you find yourself getting into kind of that blur where you're just melting down and it's a free for all and everyone is melting down around you and how to hit the pause button so that you can, um, dial it back and, and, you know, this idea, I know it sounds maybe a little um, cliche, but treating your loved ones or anyone like your best client, your best um, friend. Um, yes, there's something about taking off the mask and letting it all hang out and then giving each other slack, you know, the benefit of the doubt that that was just a glitch. Um, but too many times in a row, it wears down the goodwill. So would you like to do it now? It's uh, something that you could do anytime. I mean, Dr. Dan says, you know, at least seven to 10 minutes a day and you will, based on brain, brain science, kind of reel back that attitude where 
we have, we must rise. We must hold this together. We're not alone. We are seeking missiles for connection. It's baked into our DNA. If we lose each other, we just don't survive. So do you want to do it right now, James, real yeah, quick? I would love All right. To. All right. Sit quietly, get comfortable, and I'm going to take you through a series of prompts, and then we're going to discuss it afterwards. So are you ready? Yep, Here we go. Let's do it. All right. No, 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 no. Now just breathe in and out. Yes, 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 yes. Breathe in again. All right, left hand over the heart, right hand over the belly. And just breathe in self-care, self-love. Breathe out harsh judgments, harsh criticisms. Everything's going to be all right. Still this beating heart of mine. We're in this together. There's nowhere to go. Back to us. And then switch right hand over the heart, left hand over the belly. And it will be a different experience, but it's the same message. Breathe in loving kindness and breathe out harsh criticism, harsh self-judgments. And then we'll talk about what, what went on for you? What went on with the no, the yes? I am, um, what an unusual experience, but a nice one. I am, um, I started to feel, I felt like I had a very heavy jacket on me and while we we're saying no. And then the moment we started saying yes and breathing through it, the jacket came off, a heavy coat started to come off and I felt, I felt warm. And I felt lighter. That's how I felt. That's beautiful. And then the left hand, the right hand, which felt more comforting to you? Right hand, for some reason. Very strange. Now, that's so interesting because Dr. Dan, who's done this with thousands of people, says that 20% of the population, he says there's a PhD uh, research project in here. And if I was younger, this is what, probably what I would do. Um, that prefer, 20% of people prefer the right hand over the heart to the left hand, 80% prefer the left hand, and that each um, state teaches you something else, sends you kind of a different kind of comfort, a different kind of awareness, but that between the two, that you integrate the mind-body. You know, Eastern medicine has known this for 5,000 years, that there's really no division between mind-body. It's Western science with, as he says, geeky brain science and geeky skin science starting to be able to bring us the data, the technology to show, yes, this ancient wisdom um, has known this for a long time. And, you know, just in general, trying to self-soothe around this idea that um, even pretty much every wisdom tradition acknowledges that manifestation is broken. The yes and no that goes on constantly in one's head is always there. But this ability to ground it, to settle oneself, some say goes back to the earliest days of whether or not your caregiver was attentive to you, but that because we are lifelong learners, because the brain is plastic, 
that there, it's never too late to have a good childhood and it's never too late to take the reins on your relationships. And the other thing that Dr. Dan and others talk about quite a bit is this idea of rupture and repair. In every life, I don't care if you're the CEO or the janitor, you have something going on or that has gone on in your life that will bring you to your knees. Most people prefer their own problems to anyone else's problems. And that um, this kind of taking ownership and knowing how to address probably in a lighter moment, a less taut moment, fraught moment, excuse me, that what happened there? What can we learn from that? What can we do better? Because the ironic thing, the counterintuitive idea is that through working through problems actually increases feelings of closeness. So it's in the repair piece. Dr. Dan even says that the repair is more important than the rupture. I, I, very interesting. So I have two questions for you. <clears throat> One, it's, it's never too late to reset your day with your love. That's ones. right. That's yeah. right. And in, and in fact, that's something when, when, you know, you call up the reserves of the resiliency of the relationship, it's working through the problems. Right. You know, oftentimes. So the second question then is, let's say that you are the culprit and you're the one who's caused the argument. You're the one who's blown up, stressed out and had a tantrum. You're talking about the repair is more important than the rupture. How does someone go about to repair and say sorry? That's well, the question. Yeah, that takes um, a lot of self-awareness. And uh, especially if you're not used to doing it, it's like a kind of undoing a bad habit and redoing one. I mean, I talk about these things, but it's very challenging. And who among us is not guilty of it? Me too. Anyone who knows me, my personal life as a friend knows that I am all too human. But I will say one of my strengths is, is that I do hold the possibility, hold space for um, that possibility of healing and repair. So this attitude. So you know that little grounding technique? You yep. could see me in my own life walking around. If you see me like walking in my neighborhood, I might be having a hand over my heart and a hand over my belly because <clears throat> I have taken a time out and I am trying to work through what happened, those tangled knots. We all find ourselves in these knotted places and therein lies the gold. Because you know, Untangling the knots, we have probably found some novel new way of approaching. So yes, you'd say you're sorry, and then you also have some ideas about how to move forward. And you know, the other thing is, is that people, you know, the opposite of I love you is not I hate you. The opposite, because conflict is just another way of staying in touch. When people get entangled, it's because they usually care. They care a whole lot. Because the opposite of I love you is I don't care. Whatever you do or don't do, it doesn't matter to me. And this idea too, that once you start to reframe, I call myself the queen of the reframe, reframe rejection or a no as not yet, you start to create room for what is. 
rather than I'm bad, I'm not up to it, I'm not good. You know, the French have this saying, um, the grist for the mill. What's not fully done, there will be another opportunity. It may not look exactly the same, but there will be another opportunity to step into the space to make use of this opportunity. Um, so this idea that it's not so much rejection, it's that it's just not for me. And by understanding something's not for you, you ready yourself for what is for you. The world is full of possibility. I love that. Thank you. That was a great answer. Um, another question. <clears throat> Up until recently, our children, if you have children, they're in school. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. their worlds are turned upside down. They're mm -hmm. just as confused as we are. I mean, it sounds like a long vacation, but then mm -hmm. they realize they've got to be homeschooled. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> it's hard enough um, having a working life, a social life. We love our children, but we're not all teachers. And homeschooling is, is hard. It's a challenge. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for the moms and dads out there who are now having to do this as well? Well, I'll bring it back to this idea of rallying the troops. Children watch us very carefully, you know, like hawks, they're sponges. Young children really want to be good. They want to please us. So we have to be very careful about holding ourselves together because they're modeling our behavior. So if we lose it, guess what? Junior's gonna be losing it too. So this hitting the pause button, doing the hand over the heart, hand over the belly, just keep sending that message that we can do this. And you know, I kind of love the carrot and the stick structure, chunk it. Children also, I think, like chunked learning. All right, 20 minutes, if you can do this for 20 minutes, then we'll have a break and then we'll get back to it. This idea of um, delayed gratification, that's an old fashioned term. But I think we started to lose sight of that with all this externalizing more, more, more business. There's nothing sweeter than kind of having some kind of um, treat or whatever it is, because you know your child, you know what they like, maybe parsing out like video game time, but that, you know, when that 10 minutes is up, reset happens and we go back to the hard work. Everybody's got their job. Mommy and daddy's job is to earn a living. Junior's job is to go to school. And then, and then we kind of, in this like A, B, A, B fashion, we'll get through. And at the end of the day, talk about our wins. Because remember, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, even a younger child is gonna wanna show, look what I did, look what I did. But this idea that, um, everybody's important. You know, Freud's old saying, what do women want? Well, what does everyone want? To be seen and heard accurately. And, you know, most people when they come into my practice have a kind of incoherency. They've relied on their um, personal board of directors. There's some confidential things they wouldn't just want to say out loud or they're, 
needing to do some emotional vomiting. And I say, why is therapy like a toxic dump? This, this idea that you, you're all stirred up, you put it out there, and then you start to name your pain accurately. So even very young children can relate to this. So, you know, we take a, a dump and then we pull it together. And at the other side of it, I'm interested in what you're doing. You may or may not be interested in what I'm doing. You know, children don't necessarily care what mommy and daddy are doing. They just want that feeling of being held. You know, Dr. Dan, in his great book, Parenting from the Inside Out, what is our job as parents is to be the more organized mind for the less organized mind. And so, you know, you want children who have that sense of purpose in life, you model for it. You model them, you model it for them. There's other, another little um, trick, quote unquote, based on brain science that I use. You know, this idea that the right side of the brain is the emotional learning brain. Mm -hmm. You know, all these infant researchers say that emotional learning really is, especially that first four months of life, kind of our first way to um, learn is the emotional brain. So it's on the left side of the body. So if somebody's having like a, a tantrum, even and if you have infants, this even works with infants. Actually, this exercise came out of a study with depressed mothers and their hard to soothe babies. If you look with your left eye to the baby's left eye, because that's the right side, you will see almost immediately they will start to calm down. It works with toddlers, it works with infants, the left side, the left eye to the left eye. I have even found it work with adults. That, that's, that's incredible. It really is. And you know, the, they cite, like if you look at works of art, like mother and child, um, you will see the baby is held in the right arm so that it's easier for the left eye to look at the left eye. That this is not, this is like new brain science, but it's old wisdom. I'm going to try that today. The next time my wife looks at me like she's going to murder me, I'm going to stop and look in her left eye. And I'll, if she doesn't murder me, I'll let you know. And it's, I would like that. I would love to do this again. But this <laughs> turning the face, like not staring on straight ahead, because that is like an angry stance, but left eye to left eye, like turn, start to turn your body in brings in that circle, closes the circle of communication rather than just lets it go haywire. Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. That, I will try that. I'll let you know. Um, okay, yes. so we have some, a couple of more questions here. Sure. If you are a new couple right now and you all of a sudden found yourselves living together in isolation, um, is, this right, is this the right time to, and you're getting along, is this a good time to take the next step in the relationship? maybe talk about getting engaged, moving in together permanently. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm of the mind that it's always good to have something to look forward to. And that's part of this one good thing um, practice. And so, you know, relationships that are tested in the tough times, you know, may reveal hidden strengths even hidden weaknesses, it's, you know, talk about a silver lining, talk about taking away some of the distractions, you know, hooking up culture, if it was ever attractive, 
it's less attractive now, it seems to me. What do I know? But it seems to me that this is one takeaway. So I would say for new couples, you know, one of my mentors, 91 years old, his name's Dr. Isaac Berman. He still practices as far as I know. I need to check in with him. He says, like with parenting and all, Dr. David Wincott back in the 50s, this idea of good enough parenting. Well, with a relationship, it has to be better than good enough. Better than good enough, more often than not, chances are it's worth pursuing. And that this is a unique opportunity to really get to know each other better, to flesh things out, so to speak, but also to, to talk at a deeper level. You know, this idea of what am I doing? You know, this accessing the inner listening. What am I doing? What am I unfolding to? And what do I need to edit along the way? Course correct rediscover, redefine. And if you, if I, if a person can go deep with someone into the deep end of the pool, that's where it's most interesting. You know, my favorite marriage counselor these days, um, I've never met her, but I love her work is um, Esther Perel. She made a big splash with her first book, Mating in Captivity, and the second one, The State of Affairs. But her feeling, and I'm sure she's not the first person to say this, she's just talking about it now, is keeping the courtship alive. How to keep things new and novel and fresh. When you think back to the courtship, the sun rose and set on your partner's life. They walked in the door, your heart took a leap. Well, it's never too late to do that again. And so it, it is work. It, does take attunement. It does take alignment. And I'll also say about breaking up, there's this idea that you never break up or that unless it's, of course, violent and um, not life-affirming scenario, um, that you work your darndest to make things as good as they possibly can. And if it's still, you both kind of are looking at each other, even if you're not on the same emotional timeline and it's still really not working out, well then, perhaps, you know, how do we manage this? And I won't go into a lot here because, you know, there are a lot of compelling reasons to stay together once you are with someone and have made certain commitments. But, um, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. So um, if, uh, it's never too late to, to keep the romance alive. If you're in a house or a family or a couple and you're seeing each other day in, day out at the moment, what, what are your thoughts on having, making time for a pseudo date night or maybe well, making a romantic meal or something? Is that, is that what you're getting at here? Well, I do that. We do that all the time. I mean, we, um, we have our, the games we love to play. You know, our go-to is a form of like, um, Middle Eastern backgammon. We play gin rummy. Fantastic. Um, gardening. Yes, cooking. Yeah. Uh, I mean, simple pleasures, not so simple pleasures. But at the end of the day, they're very portable. And, and then certain shows, you know, thank goodness we have, you know, things to watch. My brilliant, um, my brilliant friend that 
Ferrante's. Um, I, it's so crazy, but I love that new show, Crank Yankers, that they brought back. And of course, you know, Trevor Noah, John Oliver, Stephen Colbert. And even if they're too late at night, we record them and watch them, you know, to take these little breaks. And mealtimes. Mealtimes are very important to have together. I certainly can agree. I think cooking meals right now, more so than ever, rather than eating out, eating in, cooking yes. meals together. So much fun. And you're eating yes. a lot more healthy as well. And it's an enjoyable experience. So that's Ex a great point there too. Exploring recipes, that yeah. kind of thing. So a um, couple more questions and then we're going to wrap this up. And thanks mm -hmm. again for your time, Tara. Oh, my pleasure. Um, the, another question I've got is, how does someone, let's say you're single right now. Mm -hmm. How does someone find love during the lockdown? Are well, you an advocate of the dating apps, uh, phone calls? How does someone meet someone? How do they know it's a lasting relationship? Do they take it slowly? They, how, what do they do? Well, you know, there's um, one of my favorite matchmakers who I only met one time in person at a friend's um, like after wedding party. We weren't invited to the wedding. It was very small, but they had a party afterwards. And so we became Facebook friends. And she is um, Gabriella Arato, I think her name is. Anyway, she has, um, she's been doing things like um, speed dating with Zoom um talent shows singles talent shows which sound like they've been a lot of fun so yeah this is a time that is testing you know this idea of not having physical touch is so important for so many people for us as a humans we wouldn't be here today if you know if we that's how we that's how we uh, proceed with the uh human race is through physical touch, you know? So this is, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. This is a very hard time for people who live alone, who are single and who have been yearning, which is a, such a healthy yearning for connection, deep connection with a mate, with one other person in this world to carry through. So I would say, don't give up keep up whatever it was you were doing IRL in real life, let's say online, and, and know that, you know, finding your person, especially if you're a little older, more informed, you've got your luggage, you've got your baggage, keep working on yourself, keep your fitness routines, keep your healthy eating, and keep this yearning alive that Yes, it may be a needle in a haystack looking high and low. Yeah, maybe you have to kiss a lot of frogs, even proverbially online, but that your person is out there and it is a very healthy desire to want to connect deeply with someone. And it's just a matter of time not to give up. I love that. That's great. Um, Tara, thank you so much. Just I have a, one last question for you. For sure. everyone who's listening out there, that the, the, the message today that I'm getting is no matter what, don't give up and you will get through it. Am I right in hearing that? What is it that you could say in a couple of sentences to everyone listening now? What, from the heart, what are you thinking? And I, I, if I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry, but I truly believe it. 
that the only reason that you are here today is that you had ancestors who didn't give up and that you're a winner because you're here. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, um, where there is life, there is hope. And where there's hope, there's that ingenuity. We have these big brains to figure out, to reconcile what's going on inside and outside with what can be. Just keep dreaming, keep working towards your goals, and little by little, something good is going to come your way. What do they say? Louis Pasteur, chance favors the prepared mind. To put yourself in the path of luck. And by virtue of the fact you're here, you're tapping into that. I love that. I survived 100% of my worst days. I've heard that many times as well. I love it. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, absolutely fantastic. And thank you, everyone. My name is James Langridge. I am the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. This has been another wonderful podcast. Stay tuned for more information on the next one. You'll hear about it soon. And stay safe and stay positive.